0: As we think about this phrase, your will be done, it ought to have a whole lot more ramifications than just our checkbook this morning. Would you agree? It ought to be all our life that God's will be done. Dogs are fascinating creatures. Some of you think a little too much of your dogs, to be honest with you, Uh, but they are fascinating nonetheless. Uh, We recently watched the newest movie based upon one of my favorite novels, the, The Call of the Wild, And while that movie is 99.99999% CGI and all fake, uh, it does kind of get you to think about the actual sled dogs, which used to be depended upon in the Yukon Territory in the 1800s and, and early 1900s. On average, each of those dogs can pull 85 pounds apiece for 90 miles for 24 continuous hours. I I cannot do that. (laughs) These are amazing creatures. And and one article that I read, the the author, the musher, who was writing about the article, who was writing the article, he said that they will oftentimes wake up before you the next morning ready to go, uh, ready to hook up to the sled and pull again. Well, this week I I listened to a novice write about her experience in Ireland of, of watching a collie herd sheep into a corral so that they could get dipped into their antibiotic the collie, it seemed, knew exactly when to lie down, when to put on an extra burst of energy, and and thinking that the dog had some kind of way to know what was going on, the writer was blown away at its intelligence until she witnessed the owner of the dog, the shepherd, uh, a long way off, and so she went over, having met him before, and she started to talk to him um, and. The owner, the shepherd, began to tell her that the dog hadn't, it didn't have any particular plan that it had concocted. It worked solely off of hand motions and short bursts of that almost inaudible dog whistle between the owner's lips. The rider watched in awe until she finally asked the shepherd about it all. Uh, she, the shepherd exclaimed, the dog doesn't understand the pattern that I'm moving him in. It only understands obedience. The dog doesn't understand the pattern I am moving it in. It only understands obedience. I, again, I understand the importance of training in all of this. Some of you have hunting dogs, which they, they after some pretty serious training and expensive training, I'll add too, uh, they can do some amazing feats in the, in the hunting field, but, but breeding has a lot to do with it too. Uh, it doesn't matter how much training goes into it, uh, we have a basset hound, and that dog is not pulling 85 pounds anywhere, um, <laughs> can hardly pull its own weight. Uh, it doesn't do anything for 24 hours except sleep. Um, that is as, about as extensive as it gets. By and large, especially with some of these working class dogs, you see that they are at their finest when they are doing the job for which they have been bred, Pulling, retrieving, herding, you name the breed, they've, they've been designed to do the task. They are wonders of God's creation. And yes, a lot of training goes into it, but there is breeding involved in it too. I'm not interested in too much of a comparison between dogs and, and us today and their breeding, but the fact remains that you were designed for a purpose too. You are at your finest and at your most fulfilled when you are doing that for which you have been created. You, Christian, you human being, you are at your finest and most fulfilled when you are doing that which the Lord has designed you to do. So what is it? What is it that you have been created for, designed to do? I'm not talking about hobbies or passions or even talents. I'm not, I'm not working you into some inspiration. You can do it if you just put your mind to it kind of thing. Those cheesy one-liners from the 90s after-school programs that we all watched when we were kids. What are you designed for, created to do? There's this thing called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it is... For it to be short, it's pretty long, I'll be honest with you. And it's really wordy and sometimes difficult to understand. But it asks the first question, what is the chief end of man? And the student is to respond, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But I believe that I can make it even more distinct than that. I don't mean to, to criticize or critique the, the authors of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. They are far more brilliant than I am. But I think we can even get it honed down to a little bit more for that which we've been created. You have been created for obedience. That's not as lackluster. and That's not as like, awe-inspiring as you would want it to be, is it? Created for obedience obedience? In fact, I'm sure that some of us, we bristle at the word obedience. Maybe you feel it's a bit too elementary for you, only for children. Maybe you feel it's a bit too legalistic, only for the brainwashed, too simplistic, too didactic, too robotic, too religious-y and not relationship enough whatever you like to throw at it i am telling you all human beings were specifically designed by their creator to obey him it is fundamental to who we are it is through obedience to god that you will be most fulfilled in your life Because when issues arise, we may not understand the pattern, but we do understand obedience. I don't know what you're doing, Father. I don't know why you're moving this in my life in that way. I don't understand the stitching pattern, as Corey ten Boom used to always say. But I do trust and obey the designer of it all. I don't normally study off-site, but this week we would had some work going on at the church. The fire alarm kept going off one day, so I settled in at a local coffee shop to prepare for the sermon this morning. When I walked in, I think, uh, I, think I caught the barista a little off guard with the stack of books that I brought with me to her coffee shop. Uh, so when I ordered my, my coffee, she asked, apparently I don't look much like a college student anymore, um, she says, are, are you just reading a stack of books or are you studying for something? Uh, it sparked a good short conversation about the Lord when I told her that I was preaching through the Lord's Prayer at church. She obviously had, had at least some, some background to the Bible because she asked what phrase I was on, and that's not a question that you just idly ask somebody when you talk about the Lord's Prayer. And I said, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. She said, that has to be the most important part of that prayer. She's exactly right. I joined in quickly to that though, and I said, um, and the hardest. It is the most difficult thing to pray because what I want is so very often different from what He wants. In fact, the morning, um, that morning I had already read Galatians 5.17, where Paul says, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. The flesh lusts against the Spirit. I read that passage, but I actually read it in a more archaic translation, um, which probably has a better explanation for us who live in the country today. The, The 16th century Puritans who translated Cyprian's writing on this text, they wrote down this, the flesh hankers after the Spirit. And the Spirit hankers after the flesh. If you didn't have a grandma who didn't use the word hanker, I don't know that you had a grandma Um, that's a good word that we have lost, hankering. I've got a hankering for something. Seriously though, inside each of us, no matter how long you've been a Christian, there is this battle of wills that is right now going on, even while I'm preaching, (laughs) even while we're in church. You realize that? I think sometimes because I'm up front and I see a lot of the the things that's going on, I get a front row seat to the battle that's going on in your pew. There is a battle of wills going on in your life this morning. Use whichever word best fits your terminology. The flesh lusts against the Spirit. The flesh hankers after the Spirit. The, lust, uh, the flesh desires the Spirit. There is this fight inside every believer to do God's will or to have God's will accomplished through them. Right now, in this moment, it's a battle. That's why this line of the Lord's prayer is so important. Similar to, to last week's signing a declaration of dependence on God, when we say, your kingdom come. When the Christian prays, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking the Lord to have absolute and total control of our lives. That is why I preface the entire sermon by saying this is the most dangerous prayer you can ever pray. The Methodist Church of England, they have this great tradition that on the, the first Sunday of the year, they have for centuries called it the covenant service. In this annual observance, the members of the church they are asked to recommit. To the mission of the gospel and faithfulness to their church. I mean, that's a fantastic idea. I think we Free Will Baptists could probably adopt some of that into our own tradition. Recommitting every year as a church to the gospel and to faithfulness to their church. Well, in the service, the congregation stands and in unison they proclaim the words of John Wesley when he wrote, We take upon ourselves with joy the yoke of obedience and engage ourselves for love of Thee to see and do Thy perfect will. Leave that up on the screen for just a little while longer. Not only do we not use the these and thous and that, we don't use this language anymore in our own spiritual lives. We take upon ourselves with joy the yoke, a burden of obedience. And we engage ourselves for the love of Thee to see and to do Thy perfect will. That is something which needs to be affirmed, not just annually for the Christian, not even merely daily, but every time we pray. That is why 2,000 years ago when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he led them in saying, Your will be done every time we bow our heads to even pray the blessing on our food, it ought to be sealed with your will be done. Now don't be confused with this phrase. I think sometimes we we hear it and we go in a totally different direction than which it's intended. We are not giving God permission here. I think sometimes people look at this line of the prayer and they see, they, wouldn't, they might not put it into audible words like this, but they view a weak God. One who, who wants His will to be done, but if, but if we're still holding on, it just can't be accomplished. That is not the picture here at all. It couldn't be further from the truth. Don't read this as God wants His will accomplished, but it just won't work unless we finally allow Him. This is not, okay God, Do what you want. I'll allow it. That is not what's happening in this passage. This is a cry of dependence and worship and proclamation of utter trust in God. Just look at the end of the phrase. It says, on earth as it is in heaven. We are begging God in this prayer. Make this place look more like heaven than it does this broken world. When we pray it over our families, we are saying, make this family more like the family of God than broken homes that we are given to. When we pray this over our own personal lives, we are saying, Father, make me more a citizen of heaven than a citizen of this broken and tyrannical world. Let me use a little sarcasm here. Is it sarcasm if you preface it by saying it's sarcasm? Christian, what is it exactly that you would like to change about heaven? What is it? Humor me. What, What is the thing, based upon how you pray right now, what is it that you want to change about heaven? Do you want to change the reunion of saints You want to change that? Getting to see those who've gone before us? I don't want to change that. Do you want to change the immediacy of obedience, the closeness of Christ? Do you want to keep Him far off? Do you want to bring back death? Allow sin to creep back in? Would you rather the confusion and chaos, disorder and disaster that is so prevalent in our world to take up residence there? We don't want to change anything about heaven Not one bit. So, why is it that we struggle so much with saying, God, your will be done? Look, heaven is the place where God's will is done nonstop, no breaks, all the time, without exception. Heaven is where God's name is hallowed ultimately in constant, ceaseless praise. It's where his kingdom resides and executes his will at his whim. It's where everyone within its borders is provided daily for by God's faithful... provision it's where forgiveness reigns and no temptation is found whatsoever heaven is the fulfillment of all that we should ever pray or ask god for but we in our arrogance we are too scared or too stubborn to say your will be done because we think we've got a better idea than what ought to happen in this situation than god's will happening in this situation We wouldn't want to change heaven, not one aspect of it, but we certainly try to change how we pray based upon our own wills. Tertullian tried to reason with us when he once said that when we pray your will be done, we are wishing ourselves well because there is nothing ever evil in the will of God. It is the best thing for you to pray. Because when you pray, God, your will be done. You are praying for my ultimate good and his ultimate glory. Nothing ever evil happens in the will of God. You say, Corey, whoa, that's a strong statement. Look at all of the martyrdoms and look at all of the issues in this world. You're telling me that nothing, I'm telling you, friend. When God's will is done in a perfect way as it is in heaven on this earth, nothing ever evil takes place. We've got to get past this idea that God's will is something to be scared of or something we won't like and so we don't pray for it. I have met with parents who are too scared to pray your will be done over their children because they're too scared that God will make their child poor or make them move far away from them. They would rather their child live in the American dream near them with all the safety and security known rather and have them live in God's will near God with all the safety and security of heaven how dare we pray anything other your will be done I have seen men and women chase relationships that they want over what God wills thinking that person will bring them fulfillment that that person if they can just have a relationship with them that will bring them joy unconditional love And that never happens. Why? Because that is not how you were designed. Only God can give that kind of unconditional love, that kind of fulfillment, that kind of joy to you. Here's the thing, Christian. The church has done a disservice to you at least within the last 60 years or so, we have treated God's will as some nebulous destination that you'll just ultimately wake up in someday. Oh, I'm in God's will. I remember sitting in youth group when I was a teenager and and being scared to death that I would make the wrong decision and and find myself out of God's will. In particular, I I remember looking at two Christian colleges who both held the Scripture, uh, were great institutions, and thinking, well, if one is God's will, then the other must be evil. I had bought lock, stock, and barrel into this very finite, narrow view of God's will or out of God's will. Maybe that was just my being naive, but I believe that that had been primed within me. So hear me, the will of God is not some destination where you'll wake up one day and you'll just, oh, angels start singing, you're there. You found yourself. You made it. Congratulations, you're in the will of God. That is nowhere taught in God's Word the will of God is much more concrete than that. It's been a while since some of you were in math class. Uh, I, for one, I, I aim to never darken the door of another math class in my life. Here's an equation that we all need to remember. God's will equals God's Word. God's will equals God's word now i'm sure that i've been taught this because i've been trained and poured into by some really good strong christians and and faithful teachers of scripture but apparently it just takes longer for some things to kind of sink into me this week i was reading a puritan writer thomas watson he wrote of god's will just like that god's will His legally binding will and testament, which he has left to us. Uh, Rachel and I had to have that conversation a couple of years ago, planning. End of life care and stuff like that. Hopefully, most of you have had it too. You've got to sit down. You've got to write out a will to make sure that your spouse and children are provided for, taken care of. We had to make calls to our family members to ask them to become legal guardians of our daughters if anything should ever happen to us. What would happen if our resource? What would happen to all to our resources, our estate? What ministries would receive the gift of of all of that all of that stuff? That was a tough but necessary thing that we had to do. We were writing our will. Too often we think about God's will being unknowable. But it absolutely is knowable. It is so knowable that He left it to us written down because God's will is God's Word. He's left us his will and testament, and we are to be executors of his will. Let me go ahead and say something that you probably never heard a preacher ever say before in church, okay? There are some things that you do not have to pray about. So, well, Paul said pray with something. You know, okay, all right, Paul. There are some things that you simply do not need to pray and seek God's will over. Seriously, look, you don't ever have to pray whether or not it is God's will for you to repent and believe the gospel. It is absolutely 100% all the time God's will for you to repent and believe the gospel. Peter wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but He is long-suffering to us. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is His will for you to accept and believe Him. You say, well, that is just so obvious. I know! But if you've been contemplating Christianity lately, thinking about following jesus as as i know a number of you have actually confided in me that you're kind of battling with some doubts that you are you've maybe you've been raised in the church or maybe this is the very first time that you've ever given christianity a look you got to know this is not a matter of prayer for you it is god's will for you to be his it's god's will 100 you don't have to pray about baptism you don't. You do not have to seek God's face. Lord, should I be baptized? No, because Peter, again, in Acts chapter two when he was preaching, he says, "Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many of the Lord our God, as many as the Lord our God will call." The public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ is God's will for your life. I don't read any exceptions in God's word for the omission of baptism in anyone's life whatsoever. Should I share my faith? That's a prayer that you never have to pray, Christian. Never. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You realize that you are never going to say or pray, uh, Lord, do I need to share my faith? And God's going to respond. No, don't worry about that. That will never happen. You don't have to, to witness for the gospel. That's not a prayer that you ever need to pray. But there's a host of other things that you never need to pray over either. There, is, there are things that you never need to seek God's will over. You don't ever need to pray, Lord, is it your will for me to marry an unbeliever? You don't ever have to ask God's will whether or not you should remain faithful to your spouse or to forgive that person or love that enemy or restore that brother or honor your parents, or give to the furtherance of the gospel, or sing his praises. You don't need to seek God's will over what you should do on the Lord's day. We don't need to try and find God's will for 99.9% of the things in our life, because it has already been written down. His will is his word. You don't need to make it a matter of prayer and to seek his will. It's there. There's a well known missionary and Bible teacher that I, I quote from often, Miss Elizabeth Elliott. She once told the story of her younger brother, Tommy, who was, in, in her telling of the story, probably around three at the time. Um, he was allowed to pull out uh, certain kitchen utensils from a safe cabinet on one condition that he clean it up after. Some of you are like, You've got three year olds, and you're like, That's a joke. <laughs> that they would clean it up. Well, once after having played in the kitchen with all these utensils for a while, he left them strewn all all over the kitchen floor, and he ran to be with their dad, whose practice it was, was when he came home from a hard day's work, was to sit down at the piano and play and sing. Well, when Elizabeth's mother called uh, Tommy to to come into the kitchen and clean it up, Elizabeth writes um, in one of her books, that she remembered there was a few seconds of silence and then Tommy, three-year-old Tommy, in like the sweetest voice a little boy could ever have, he says, but I want to sing Jesus Loves Me. I don't know how that would go down in your household, but Miss Elliot pretty much writes that it went down similar as to how it would go down and how I was brought up to. That doesn't matter. <laughs> to obey is better than sacrifice. I found that many Christians, we are distraught seeking counsel to find God's will over secondary issues when they refuse to obey God on the primary issues. Things that are revealed in Scripture. You're seeking God's face over this issue and you're saying, I just want to worship you by giving you this And it's clearly written out in God's Word. His will is His Word. The battle for God's will is not, how can I know God's will? That was the culture that I grew up in. How can I know God's will? That's not the question we ought to be asking. The battle for this third petition and the Lord's Prayer is one of obedience. Will I submit to His will? Will I obey His Word? Again, Thomas Watson, he writes that just knowing God's will is as good to you as lame legs. They cannot carry you to heaven. Knowing God's will may make a man admired, but it is doing God's will that makes him blessed. You can know everything about the Bible. You can know it frontwards and backwards, but if you do not do God's Word, and do God's will, you may be admired by everyone around you, but you will never have that inner blessedness, completeness, fulfillment, joy. We have convinced ourselves that God's will is a drudgery, but really, it is a joy. I'm telling you, we cringe at words like submission and obedience because We believe that they attack our freedom and our individuality. Let me say that again. We cringe at words like submission and obedience because we believe that they attack our freedom and individuality. I really thought, sought God's will (laughs) over sharing this with you this morning. This week, I came across the work of a man by the name of Charles Bukowski. I can say it from this pulpit, I hesitate in sharing his name because his writing, it is not appropriate nor is it beneficial except as like cautionary tales kind of thing. Bukowski was a 20th century American author who imbued the style of what was called after him, dirty realism. His writing normalizes the grotesque and it glorifies the perverted. You can tell because the, his autobiography, he wrote it himself, obviously, was entitled, A Dirty Old Man Confesses. Do not <laughs> check this book out of the library. The only thing that I ever hope you ever read from him is this prolifically heartbreaking one-liner. When nobody wakes you up in the morning, and when nobody waits for you at night, and when you can do whatever you want, what do you call it? Freedom? Or loneliness? I didn't even want it on the screen. Because I don't want you looking them up. When nobody wakes you up in the morning, when nobody waits up for you at night, When you can do whatever you want, what do you call it? Freedom or loneliness? Friend, we have bought into the lie that my will be done will bring me ultimate freedom. And I'm trying to tell you today that it is all that will do is bring you ultimate loneliness. Separating yourself further from the very one for whom you are created. You say, if I just do what I want, if I I got up when I wanted to get up and if I came in whenever I wanted to come in and I did not adhere to any of God's laws, then I would be free. No, you would be lonely, heartbroken, lonely. Your will be done is the answer for that loneliness. I want you to contrast Bukowski's lonely freedom that he heralded for the ultimate example of thy will be done when Jesus is going to the cross he's sacrificing himself for the redemption of man the author of Hebrews will later write of that situation looking to him in verse 2 of chapter 12 he says looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friend, if you were to do a true study of what first century crucifixion looks like and everything that suffered on the cross, you would think that the word joy would not even come close, wouldn't even come to the same sentence Paragraph, chapter, even book of crucifixion. But it does. Because Jesus did the will of His Father. He had done what He came into this world to do. And now, He gives us an opportunity to do what we have been created to do. To obey Him. Follow Him. And pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks for listening to New Hope Church's podcast. If you would like to listen to more content from our church, follow us at newhopefwbc.com.